Mike Chipping, Communications Director for the Maine People's Alliance and co-host of The Beacon, a progressive political podcast. Mike joined me by phone on Friday, March 6, 2020. Welcome, Mike Tipping. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's my pleasure. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, so is it fair to say that you and the organization that you work for at Maine People's Alliance are, for the most part, Bernie people in, in the context of talking about the Democratic primary at this part at this point? Well, we were uh, Warren and Sanders people. Uh, as an organization, we said that those were the two candidates that were best representing a progressive vision on the issues we care about, including universal health care and addressing climate change and things like that. But I imagine now that uh, Elizabeth Warren has dropped out that we are we are more uh, more Bernie brothers, I guess. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. Uh, not Bernie bros, though, I hope. Just Bernie <laughs> brothers. Bernie brothers and sisters. Well, in 2016, um, Bernie and his supporters, or some would say an army of trolls, cried foul and said that the primary contest was rigged. And I was at the convention as a national delegate for Hillary, full disclosure, and I have still recovering, and I have no interest in relitigating 2016 at all. But what I'm wondering is, from your perspective right now, do you think that Bernie supporters can legitimately claim that the primary in 2020 is, is anyhow rigged by the establishment? Oh, I don't even want to get into that. Um, I think anyone that's been saying that is uh, marginal voices or the current president of the United States. So wouldn't want to give that any any thrift at all there. What about, um, there's some suggestion that there was like the invisible hand of Barack Obama behind the coalescence of moderate Democrats and the last minute endorsements of Joe Biden before Super Tuesday. Do you or, or do you think progressives in general believe that Barack Obama um, was was a factor in Bernie's loss in the Super Tuesday primaries? Well, I, I have no knowledge of that, so wouldn't be the one to ask about it. But I'd say in general, you know, what we've seen is a very uh, broad and diverse field um, that has narrowed over time. And obviously there were a series of uh, decisions and, and events that went into what happened on Super Tuesday that really gave a, gave a huge boost to Biden. You know, obviously the schedule being how it was, the South Carolina primary, the endorsement of some key, uh, especially black uh, elected leaders there for him, uh, his wide margin there, and then obviously other candidates that were more on the moderate side dropping out and endorsing him right before. Uh, that seemed to give him the biggest boost on, on Super Tuesday. What does it... Uh... What does it say in your mind that young people didn't turn out in the numbers that Senator Sanders had hoped? Do you see that as a prediction of low turnout for the general election of, of well, younger voters? Still, yeah, I think we're still seeing, uh, getting the numbers back from some of these states, but uh, in a lot of them, young voters did turn out in pretty uh, big numbers. I think uh, the biggest swing was probably in Nevada, where we saw um, not just young people, but a lot of uh, Latinx folks making it to the polls for the first time. I think that showed some of the promise of the, the Sanders coalition here, the idea that uh, he and his supporters can work to build a multiracial, multi-class, multi-age uh, coalition here. And I think that's what we need as a Democratic Party and as a country to put us on the right path that uh, we need to be on to win uh, important 
in this country, there are still people that are going without health care. Um, we are facing a gargantuan climate challenge that we're completely unprepared to meet. And, uh, you know, there are basic uh, things like housing and food <laughs> response to, uh, you know, disease like the coronavirus that are just going completely unmet. Um, and we're facing the you know, biggest inequality in our history as the wealthy get wealthier. Um, obviously, Mike Bloomberg did not, he was not able to, to buy the election in the end, but he made a good, good shot of it. And I think uh, there's a lot to be said for reforming our political and our economic systems to make sure that everyone has more of a fair shot. Well, I want to get back to um, the progressive movement and the election of Barack Obama, but mm -hmm. since you mentioned Mike Bloomberg, I should say that I am one of the 12 people who voted for him <laughs> in the primary, <laughs> first first and foremost, because I do believe that Mike... Well, I, let I me just finish. I don't begrudge you that, and I hope you got a sizable check for it. Yeah, well, no, but I... First and foremost, I do believe that he'd make an excellent president, but I also voted in solidarity with my daughter, who got a job with the campaign, and... Um, not only got a check, go. but she had an experience of a lifetime. So I'm, I'm curious. I, you know, Bloomberg, rightfully, I guess, is the butt of a lot of jokes. But he gets bashed around for spending $500 million um, for 10% of the vote on Super Tuesday. You know, but from my perspective, <clears throat> you know, he created, in that short amount of time, he created thousands of well-paying jobs, uh, trained thousands mm -hmm. of activists, organized a get-out-the-vote effort for Democrats. His... Anyone who worked on the campaign had housing, health benefits, food, um, and all of that was spent to defeat Donald Trump. So I guess on, on your podcast that I listen to and that I recommend, The Beacon, I enjoy it very much. Um, oh, Est thank you. Yeah, sure. Esther suggested something like, you know, think about what else that money could be spent on. So I guess I'm just curious, given all the bashing of Mike Bloomberg, <laughs> if, you had, if you had $500 million to spend in that short amount of time, what would you do to, you know, what would you do? What would you do with it? Wow. Well, I guess, first of all, I'd say that um, I think people were bashing him not just because of the spending, um, but because of many of his positions and his political history. You know, his previous spending is a big reason why we have the Republican Senate. Obviously, there was the awful racist stop and frisk policies that he defended for far longer than anyone else. And, you know, he said some truly awful things about uh, trans people and others that, um, you know, I think all uh, were legitimate critiques of, of him and his campaign. And obviously there was the issue of the NDAs and the treatment of women at his, uh, his company that was raised during the debate that became a big part of why I think he lost support as well. But, I mean, if you've had $500 million, it's uh, amazing what you could do with that kind of thing. Uh, One-tenth of that would be enough to get clean water for Flint, Michigan, uh, for instance. Uh, and, you know, the, the idea um, of all the civic good that could be done with that, I think, is a, you know, an important note when we talk about campaign spending. Well, I guess the argument, though, is that Mike Bloomberg hasn't given enough money to good causes. I mean, I think this is a real problem with— and no, I this don't is think what, anyone's saying that. I th well, I think there's a, there's a serious conversation that has to take place among Democrats about wealth and—, and <laughs> And the capitalist system and the you know democracy because um, a lot of people in this economy are looking for opportunities and what I don't see Senator Sanders offering people are real opportunities. I just I don't see any evidence that he could use the political process to you know 
to achieve any results. So, I mean, does it concern you? To me, the legitimate criticism of Bernie Sanders is that he does not have a track record of accomplishment. Yes, he draws millions of people online to give money. He gives a you know barn burner of a speech. He's got great vision, but I just I don't see anything that he's accomplished. What has he accomplished, Mike? Well, first of all, I would say that I don't begrudge anyone that worked for Mike Bloomberg. Um, you know, that was making you know, thousands of dollars a month there doing organizing. Um, and I'm glad that they got that experience. I'm glad that they, you know, uh, connected with people and got people involved in the process. And that's, that's wonderful. Uh, I did talk to some of those organizers that were secretly voting for Bernie, um, which was always funny. Uh, and, you know, I know some of the folks that worked on that campaign. And, and uh, I think they are, you know, good people, part of the Democratic coalition. Um, you know, as much as I might joke about, about spending or about Mike Bloomberg, I think, uh, you know, this is a point where soon we're all going to be coming together on the same side. Um, as for Bernie Sanders and a progressive vision for um, jobs, as you, as you said, and opportunity for people, I think one of the most oppor- uh, optimistic visions of that is the Green New Deal. And that's something that, you know, Bernie really supports, uh, Elizabeth Warren supports, you know, and she was the, the candidate that I voted for, um, you know, it's something that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has introduced in Congress, and it has a vision not just for dealing with climate change, which is an existential threat and something we need to do, but doing it in a way that provides opportunity for people and good jobs in places that need them and uh, in uh, economies and in um, industries that really need that help as well. Up to into the. Thank you. In today's Washington Post, the columnist Jennifer Rubin had a suggestion. Um, she said that um, she said that the remaining or the women candidates who ran for president who have, who have not yet endorsed, and that includes Elizabeth Warren, of course, Kamala Harris, and Kirsten Gillibrand. She says that they should only endorse a candidate who pledges to have a woman on the ticket quote, that they should take matters into their own hands and make a joint declaration, we will endorse only a ticket with a woman on it, period. What do you think about that? Do you think Bernie Sanders um, and Joe Biden should pledge to put a woman on the ticket? Well, I think the last thing I would do is is tell those women uh, who they should endorse and why. Um, But I think it would absolutely be great to have uh, more women involved at that level of politics. What about as a political mover? Do you see movement? Do you see any chance of women just really putting their foot down and saying, "Look, we're not voting for any candidate who doesn't put a woman on the ticket"? Do you think that works or, or backfires? I think it would really depend on what kind of movie you're talking about, and you know what kind of support uh, people could get there. I think right in this moment, what we're seeing with the Biden surge is really people looking for kind of the least offensive, most um, you know, uh, in some people's definition of it, electable option here. I think that's why a lot of people uh, went with Biden. And I think, unfortunately, there's some misogyny baked into that, too. You know, I think it's not, um, uh, you know, just happenstance that the the two people left in this race with a real chance to win it are, you know, 80-year-old white guys. Um, And I think that's an unfortunate uh, aspect of our politics right now. 
Well, I absolutely agree. And that leads me to the question, how do you think Bernie Sanders deals with the toxic masculinity that many women associate with his campaign? And I would say, just from my own personal experience, that includes me. I'm not saying that Bernie Sanders himself is, is, is in any way inferior when it comes to thoughts and opinions about women and women's equality, but his campaign does have associated with it this toxic masculinity, these trolls online, these just real bullying by his supporters. What, how, does, how do you think he deals with that? What's the best way to deal with that in, his, in your view? Yeah, I think it's a tough one to deal with, and I think it is a real issue that some of his supporters online, you know, not necessarily uh, his surrogates or people that are part of the campaign, but a large block of angry people online that have been, um, you know, very rude and even threatening uh, to folks. And something I even saw a little bit, you know, not as a woman online, but just being a you know, outspoken supporter of Elizabeth Warren got some, just a small amount of that uh, backlash as well. And I think, uh, you know, it's something that he as a candidate has addressed very directly and candidly. He said he doesn't want and doesn't support. Um, but I'm sure there are more things that could be done um, to, uh, to address that. I think part of it you're seeing right now where he is uh, switching gears a little bit from the campaign messaging perspective and talking about himself more as a unity candidate. You know, up until this point, he had been running as the, you know, the, the spear tip of the political revolution here. And <laughs> right. I think it, it, in some of their calculus, they were thinking about, oh, you know, we only need to get 30% in this wide open field. And so it's okay to be a little divisive and show contrast and really rev up our folks. And I think probably too late um, or later than they should be, uh, they're switching to a different way of approaching things that maybe will be uh, better along those lines as well. I certainly hope so. Yeah, when I saw Bernie in Portland uh, in the summer, he definitely had a unity message. It wasn't, you know, of course that was pre-debate when everything got a little bit heated. Um, So if, if there was to be a woman on the ticket as a vice presidential candidate with Bernie Sanders, who are some of your top contenders well i love elizabeth warren (laughs) yeah do you think that would work bernie and elizabeth on the same ticket i think it'd be great to have um you know younger people involved in the the political process as well um so i don't uh i don't have any any particular names i'd support over others there but i think there's a a great group of um female politicians that have been uh, doing some great stuff in Congress. Obviously, we have the whole squad. I would love to see any of them elevated uh, in politics. And there's a whole bunch of folks that were you know, just elected in 2018, that are running in 2020, um, that are young, that are women. Uh, many of them are LGBTQ and folks that uh, I think could really change our politics. More than that, you know, they're, they're part of a progressive movement and really see... Uh, the importance and the strength of building a movement together that why do, crosses all these lines. Why do you think Bernie Sanders didn't win in the second congressional district? Uh, to Biden? Yeah. That surprised me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was very close. So he was about two points down there. He was uh, even or a point up in the, in the first congressional district. And I think you saw a real split um, between him and Warren, uh, 
Well, I... Are you assuming that all of or most of Elizabeth Warren's supporters would go to Bernie Sanders? No, but I believe enough of them would have. Uh-huh. What do you think the um, the Democratic primary and the, or the Super Tuesday results in particular says, if anything, about the race uh, for U.S. Senate between Susan Collins and Sarah Gideon? Well, I think we definitely saw enthusiasm among Democrats to get out and vote. Um, you know, it's hard to make those comparisons across very different races here, presidential primary versus a U.S. Senate general election. But I think it's great to continue to see, um, you know, enthusiasm in voting and in politics. We saw, obviously, it was a change from a caucus to a primary, and that made the biggest difference. But, you know, a four or five fold increase in participation in the presidential choice among Democrats this year. Um, and so I think that, combined with the recent polling, uh, Susan Collins, you know, is a is a political fixture in Maine, and she's not going to be dislodged easily. Uh, but I think she has to be uh, more and more worried as as the weeks tick by here towards election day. Are you talking about the Colby polling? Well, the Colby poll, yeah, I showed them uh, pretty much tied, and then there was a public policy poll uh, that came out yesterday that showed Gideon actually up. This polling issue, and, and I know we have to end soon, but the, the polling I thought was really interesting. Thank you to you for sending me those two polls on Election Day, one showing in Maine a, with a sample of 209 people, Mike Bloomberg winning, <laughs> and the other one showing Bernie winning, and of course Joe Biden won. So I have absolutely, I mean... Those that, were not, yeah, high-quality yeah. polls, were they? <laughs> Which is just really too bad. It seems like everything's up in the air. Okay, last question. Where has Steve Collins, the political reporter for the Sun Journal, been all my life? I love that guy. <laughs> Yeah, he had some great... I really enjoyed his reporting on Twitter. Me too. Uh, the day of the election. And yeah. just had great insights on, on a bunch of issues there. Um, you know, he was talking to folks. He was talking to the Republican signature gatherer in Lewiston who was very excited to be making, uh, you know, 3 or $4 a signature. And, um, yeah, it was really fun. Uh, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of really cool anecdotes. So, Mike Tipping, thanks again. Now, if people want to listen to your podcast or get more information from the Maine People's Alliance, how do they do that? Well, you can go to mainbeacon.com. That's our comprehensive news website, the podcast, and uh, written and uh, stories there, both uh, reported and opinion. And you can click on the microphone in the top right to subscribe to the podcast. Thank you very much, Mike Tipping.